0: And welcome to your edition of Your Money Radio, Texas I'm, I'm your Texas, I'm, I'm, I'm Texas Claus. Love it. <laughs> and, I, and I've got my elves from Florida and Arizona, my technical and fundamental elves. And we're going to have some fun this week. Um, next week we're going to take off, so really suck it in. We're going to give you lots and lots of, of good material and some things you really need to watch out for heading in the new year. And first of all, our thoughts, uh, uh, our, our best wishes to Tim and Tanya. They're actually uh, having a baby. Um, well, not Tim. Tim's not doing anything. He's waiting in the waiting room. But, <laughs> uh, father, but uh, yeah. Tanya's having a baby. I think today, hopefully. Oh my gosh! And. Um, um we'll go from there but but anyway i just wanted to wish everyone a very merry christmas and a happy new year and and um now we will be having a show a show before new year's yes heading into the new year but just next week we'll be off so we're really going to dive right into it and 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 get right into the charts uh don tim and alex how are you guys today don's doing well
2: merry christmas merry christmas fantastic (laughs)
0: Oh look, Don's Merry got his Christmas. Uh, Florida Christmas, his Hawaiian shirt on. He sure does. Yeah, look at Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> look at that. Pull, pull the camera Mine down a little closer so we can see the shirt, Don. <laughs> there you go. Look hey, at that. Wow. Look at that. That's a good look. I like that shirt. Yeah. Look at that. All right, well, folks, uh, listen. The market. The, the Fed came out. We're going to talk about the Fed. The Fed came out and and actually said they were going to uh, tighten. They were going to accelerate tightening. They're going to raise rates uh, three times next year. But more importantly, they're going to they're cut the bond buying in half. They're going to only... And I say only, tongue in cheek. Only by sixty billion dollars per month of bonds, mostly Treasuries, from 120. Only sixty, Yeah, huh? only sixty. Wow. So they're, they're, they they and and right away the the market kind of reversed directions and started rallying, and it was a relief. And we're getting a follow through day to day so far. And so it, even though it's a tightening posture and a stance, everybody knew they were going to tighten. I think that the unknown is out of the way. Yeah. And so it, it gives room uh, for, uh, uh, for the markets to finally uh, start resuming their rally because we have been in a pretty uh, little bit rough of a pullback. Mm. Uh, Don, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, we pulled
2: back, we had, uh, we've had several goal line stands on pullbacks over the last couple of weeks. And this was another one as the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 got right down to their 50 day moving average. And we key on that level very heavily. And uh, a strong bounce after the Fed announcement yesterday, uh, a lot of volume coming in. And as you mentioned by our methodology, that, uh, that's a classic follow through day. Uh, according to the O'Neill principles, which is uh, off of a bottom, preferably fourth, the fourth through the seventh day, this was actually the eighth day, uh, a strong move in one of the indexes on heavy volume, usually uh, the green light to uh, add exposure to the market. Um, then the question is, of course, do you have adequate stocks at low risk buy points put capital into. And what we did see is several leaders bouncing off of their 50-day or 21-day moving average. Uh, Obviously, the 21-21 list that we keep updated every Friday, 18 of them were still in play uh, on the 21-21 list. And um, we added back to one of them. Uh, This morning, we added index exposure yesterday uh, on the strong move on the S&P. And uh, so now we're back to about equal risk with the S&P 500. That means a a beta of 1.0 in risk in the market. And now we'll let the market decide for us. The key thing that we're looking for is what we call a distribution day, which is a move down on heavier volume over either today, Monday or Tuesday, the three days after the follow through day are key. If you see distribution on any of those days, it greatly raises the likelihood that the rally will fail and that's what we've got our eyes peeled for now
0: yeah and so to clarify yesterday uh shortly after the fed announcement it looked like the rally was going to hold it first it reversed and popped a little higher and then it then it held. Uh, Don added SSO, which is a double S&P for broad exposure immediately because we had a fairly heavy cash position, you know, going because the market's been weak for the last couple of weeks. And so it's a quick way. One trade you're in and you can increase your exposure by 20, 30, 40 percent if you want. Mm. And then what then you can start adding individual names as you see them uh, doing better on the chart. Okay, we're going to dive deeper in the markets in just a few minutes. Uh, the one thing that I do want to talk about that, folks, is very important that you're not getting, the, the, the coverage was very light about a month ago, and then it kind of all, or a couple months ago, and then it all disappeared, and people aren't talking about it. But this very well could be the next swan, black swan event that really brings the global markets you know, to a screeching halt. I'm not trying to do doom and gloom, and I'm not trying to scare people, but you you got to be aware of this. And so, like, in the 2008 economic crisis, it was real estate caused in our markets, and so the contagion went from the United States, both east and west, across the Pacific and Atlantic, and affected all the other countries. This swan actually may start out from the east and come over to our shores. Mm. And so that's why it's going to be real important uh, to pay attention to what I'm about to say. So, the big question is: is It's Chinese real estate in a massive bubble. I have no okay, problem. and I've got okay, the okay, yeah. yeah, I've got the articles on that. I, I should have given you the show notes before, uh, but I'm not as polished as Tim. I, I did not go yeah. to the upstairs Connecticut School of of, of broadcasting. Uh, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't so, know so, it. So yeah. I'm kind of winging it. But but so so they have. They have um, $5 trillion, $5.2 trillion actually, in real estate debt, debt that they owe not only Chinese investors but the world. Hmm. And two-fifths of that, 40%, is in international bonds, yeah. high-yield bonds slash junk bonds. So the old adage, the old cliche on Wall Street is, what's the difference between a high-yield bond and a junk bond? And the answer is nothing. A high-yield bond is when they're trying to sell it to you. A junk bond is when you transfer in, and he can only make money if he gets you to change something. So he calls it a junk bond so he can get you to sell it to, so he can push what he's trying to uh, 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 sell on you. So high-yield bonds is when they're doing well. Junk bond is when they're doing poorly. Okay, but getting back to China, their total sales... Of the 100 largest development companies, real estate development companies, is down 36%, with the biggest 10 sales are down 44%. Oh, wow. So you're saying, well, it's cyclical and they're just pulling back. What's the big deal? Well, the five biggies China, Evergrande, and you heard about Evergrande. um, That's what made the news a couple weeks, uh, a couple months ago. That's what was all in the news. Is 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 that going to cause it? Well, you've got Evergrande. Country uh, Garden Holdings, China Vanke, Sunak, China Holdings, uh, China Resources. Their contract liabilities, money they owe other people, has, has the pre-sales, the way they're financing it. They're getting people to pay up front before the thing's even finish. You're buying a condo apartment. When I say housing, it's really apartments over there. They're all on high rises. We're talking about urban, not rural. Um, Pre-sales just a few years ago represented 26% of their total financing for these things. They'd get bank loans or institutional trust like our REITs, and that's how they'd raise money. Well, now that's up to 42%, so almost half of their new raising money is from these pre-sales where you're paying for an apartment a year in advance for you're sure whether it's done. Yeah, these are big percentages. These, yeah. are, these are big numbers. And I'm worried some of these com- companies are, you know, some of these, these, these Chinese families are going to pay for an apartment and they're never going to get the finish out. Yeah. They're just going to get walls but the, no running water. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to see. Now, to put this in perspective, D.R. Horton is the biggest U.S. home builder. Yes. And that's at about $22 billion market cap. Evergrande, which is, tech, is the biggest and technically in default, because oh. they missed two interest payments. We're not talking about principal payments. We're not talking about 100000000000 coming. billion. We're talking about a few interest payments. They couldn't make the interest payments, but their market cap is $368 billion. Yeah. So our biggest $22 billion, their biggest $368 billion. Now, like I said, until recently, their real estate was financed with 10% bonds, High yield junk bonds, forty six percent bank loans, which has shrunk significantly. Banks are starting to get nervous over there. That twenty six percent pre sales now is forty two percent, so mm-hmm. they're going to the the buyer, and the rest is from these wealth management products like the our tr- version of REITs. Yeah, right. Okay, but the but but the bigger the banks and the bigger institutional money, is moving away from it from financing, and it's really the individual investor or the home buyer the apartment buyer is trying to make up the potential now like i said evergreen has missed some interest payments and that was in the news but was really hasn't made the news is that luxury uh uh, fantasia holdings that's another company over there Mm -hmm. is 206 million in default in u.s bonds so they actually had they missed a principal payment and that was on october 4th you really didn't hear much about that and so now some of these builders are having to discount their prices that they were going to charge for these apartments to cover their short-term obligations that they are having trouble paying. Right. So you normally, in accounting, you normally want to match long-term assets with long-term liabilities and short-term assets with short-term liabilities. You don't want to take long-term assets and sell them to pay for short-term obligations. That usually is a a big sign of distress. Hmm. Here's the real tell. So 24 out of 59 development companies, their yields have risen over 20% just in the last month. Their yields have risen to over 20%. So if you buy one of their their bonds now, they're yielding 20%. Because of the recent wave of selling. So people are selling their bonds, so they're going way down in price, Mm -hmm. pushing up the yield. That means people are scared about default. That means you really have default. anytime. So you measure default risk or company risk Mm -hmm. by how high their yield is. You know, Apple only pays 1%, 1 (laughs) 1.5%. Because it's so stable, it doesn't have to pay you a lot of money. Right. It's almost a sure guarantee you're getting your money back. Yeah. So the higher that yield goes, so, you know, four, three, in this environment, investment grade is really two and a half. It's low, three maybe. Mm -hmm. And the longer you go out, but as you go up into higher riskier U.S. bonds, it may be six, seven percent, sometimes eight if you're not using leverage. Once you start getting over 10, that's really your antenna should come up. So when you get up above 20 in this environment – that's a really scary sign uh that these that these um um banks are in trouble now here's the contagion aspect of it so real estate represents 29% let's just round it to 30 of of the growth in china's economy the growth in their gdp mm-hmm. it also accounts for 27% of all their bank loans so if these real estate companies start getting in trouble which they already are yeah you're going to have banks all of a sudden shrinking their financing, banks getting a third of their, uh, you know, 30% of their bank loans in trouble, and all of the of the GDP in, in, in China is going to get sucked out. Now, GDP in Q3 this year was downgraded from 5% down to 3.6, which is pretty significant. That's a big yeah downgrade. That's you know, a big 30, jump. 30, 30, 40%. And their forecasts next year are were 5.8 now they're going to drop them to 5.4 and i'm thinking only four tenths of percent now we know that china always lies about their numbers anyway so you can't you can't you know put too much too much weight in it yeah here's another little tidbit so 90 percent of the people in urban areas already have home ownership they already own a home so many individuals were buying a second third apartment just as an investment because the Chinese people, and they're not going to rent it out. They're just going to hold it Mm -hmm. and hope it appreciates in value, right? Because there's no interest to be made in the bank. You can't make any money in in their equivalent of CDs or savings accounts. Mm. And a lot of the Chinese people don't trust the stock market.
1: So they're buying real estate. So they're buying
0: real estate. Well, real estate has been pushed up so much in price, people can't afford it now. It's becoming harder. So real estate has already started to turn. Yeah. That's going to put a damper on people buying. When real estate starts pulling back, buyers disappear because it's illiquid. It takes a lot longer. It, 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 it It's hard to get out of. It's not like a, a, a stock where you can just sell it on a dime. Yeah. So this problem is starting to get bigger, and it's starting to accelerate. Couple that with the Chinese. So the Chinese government now, they don't want to be holding the bag. They don't want to be blamed for it. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So they're starting to try to figure out a soft landing, a, a smooth. And so they're, they're trying to put little curbs in place. They're trying to use price limit ceilings, hmm. you know, caps yeah. in real estate, which never works. That makes prices that puts pressure on it. Yeah. They're trying to restrict bank loans and require more equity up front. You know, customarily, we put 20 percent down here. Mm-hmm. Well, now some of the banks are requiring 80 percent equity there. So you can only finance twenty percent. Mm. So now, it's it's really making it more t- tougher to to buy these ho- well to buy these homes and these homes are being bought on leverage. Mm-hmm. So and these these companies, excuse me, these companies have financed all this stuff on leverage. So you're going to start getting margin calls, bank calls. They're in like I said, their 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 yields have gone way up. Now they got they're going to have to pay higher interest for new bonds. This is a major, major problem. In fact, Kathy Wood had an article out, uh, and she's talking about how this could be much bigger. She compares it to Japan in, in 1991, oh. when Japan lost literally 70, 80% of its stock market value. Mm-hmm. Three decades later, it's still not back even. So she, you know, it was called the lost decade. In Japan, it's really the lost two, two or three decades. But she's talking about how this could be bigger than our in China than our financial crisis in 2008
1: here. So is is the government over there doing
0: anything to kind of shift these numbers or are they just kind of looking away from Well, they're it, trying you know? to slow Well, here's the, so here's the problem. They're trying to s- they, so they kind of fueled this whole thing, just like our Fed prints money and causes these big booms, these bubbles, and then they like inflation like we have now. Yeah. And so now they're trying to act like a parent and try to act like they're going to curb inflation and bring it down when they caused the problem to begin with. Of course. So China's government kind of wanted everybody to have home ownership and, and caused this a big spike in growth in real estate. Now it's overheated. Now you've got a big bubble over there. Yeah. And now they've realized it, and they're trying to man- to manufacture kind of a a mild pullback, not a crash. Well, that's hard to do. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very fine tightrope to walk. Hmm. So the question for you, the listener, is: Do you have a plan? Do you own emerging market bonds? I mean, if you've got emerging market bonds, you know. These bonds, a lot of these bonds are going to be in default. Right. Now, remember uh, remember how Puerto Rico was in default a few years ago, and we talked about it, and I think it was the state of Virginia mm-hmm. or South Carolina. One of these South Carolina muni bond funds that's supposed to be South Carolina or Virginia actually had Puerto Rican bonds in them. Really? To juice up the yield, yes. In Virginia? In, yeah. So, so don't, if you see an emerging market bond fund, a lot of those work on weights of the, quote, emerging markets. Well, China's going to be a big heavyweight. Right. And even if it's an international bond uh, portfolio, you just need to be careful because you could have a lot of money tied up in there. If you've got emerging market funds, yeah. these stocks are going to sell off. So and this may not happen. They may engineer a smooth landing, but you just got to have that. Because this is accelerating now. This could actually happen in the next couple of months, right. if not sooner. Mm-hmm. And when it happens, it'll accelerate very fast. But the media is not talking about it now. If you add that with the Chinese Communist government, who's you know shown that they're not real trustworthy. Now I don't want to go too far out on a limb or. Put a tinfoil hat on, but 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 many times in the past, in in the history of our country and other countries, when the economy is about to really really fail, the government doesn't want to seem like it was their fault, so they'll start beating the war drums and they'll start doing something, take other action to deflect against the real problem or use the, the the military action as a scapegoat. Right. So it's you know China's been talking about Taiwan, they've been kind of talking tough. It's possible mm-hmm. that they invade Taiwan. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it is possible. Now, if if they do that, I don't think there's any question Russia would in, uh, invade Ukraine at the same time. They would Because they would do Just it together. Because there's no way that the United States can go defend both right now the <sighs> way that the state is. And again, this may not happen. Yeah. But this is one scenario. So you always want to do scenario analysis. Yeah. You want to have all potential scenarios, both good and bad, and be able to have a plan in place so that you could take action. So if this scenario, not even necessarily the invasion scenario, but if the real estate scenario starts playing in in China, you're going to see their their Chinese market start to really come under pressure and go down, both in real estate and their stock market. Mm. and their bond market, it's going to get ugly. Yeah. Then you're going to start seeing all of Asia and then Europe and then the United States. Now, we're still the strongest country in the world right now with the economy and markets. We just happen to be. So in my opinion, in my humble opinion, the risk is too high to have outside Money, international money. I know the asset allocators like to have international exposure, international bonds, international stocks. Right now, they're not doing all that great in America's. You're making more money with less risk. In right. other words, if the American stock market is doing better than emerging markets and you've got currency risk, so you, if it makes money over there, then you've got to translate it to U.S. dollar. So you got two forms of risk, but if America's outperforming emerging markets, because remember, emerging markets have a lot more risk than U.S., why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Why would you be taking excess risk when the, when the returns are much lower? So for right now in this, in this environment, I personally and we as a, as a company have all of our investments here in the U.S., we don't own uh, – uh, Don can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not aware of any international uh, – well, we don't have any bonds right now anyway, but stocks yeah. that we own, occasionally there might be a one-off that's an international company that trades on our exchange. But right now, all of the uh, exposure is in U.S., but you need to have a sell discipline mm. because if this happens, this could be very, very big and there's not enough money to be able to plug this hole if their real estate starts really cratering china can't print enough money to uh, bail them out <laughs> without significantly hurting the yuan or the renminbi it'll hurt their currency and by the way that's another tell if our dollar so everybody you would think you would think that with the treasury with congress pa- trying to pass this multi-trillion dollar bill spending bill yeah and the Fed was printing, and now they're going to print less, but they're still printing. They're still, I mean, even though it's more hawkish now, mm-hmm. that, this, that would strengthen the dollar. But if China really starts to, to fold, you're really going to see the dollar strengthen. There'll be a flight, and you may see gold and the dollar move in tandem and be highly positively correlated. That's unusual. Normally, they're in not always, but normally they're inversely correlated when they're positively correlated. That means you got it. Normally you have a fear trade going on. Yeah. People are afraid. And so that's why that's,
2: that's. I think that's a really good point. Dan. Can you repeat that again about that correlation? OK.
0: When gold and treasury bonds, the price, not the rate yeah. not, or the dollar even and the U.S. dollar, when all those things are positively correlated and they start going up in value, up in price you got to ask yourself why, <clears throat> especially, especially if the stock market and, like, high-yield bonds go down. So normally bonds together will all move in tandem, high-yield and you with interest rates. But if interest rates aren't really moving in, in a big direction, but treasury bonds start going up while high-yield bonds go down, so their yield spread starts to get really wide, mm-hmm. that's a sign of risk. Yeah. If gold and, and the dollar, which is what I was talking about with Don, or Treasury bonds start moving in tandem, that's a sign. That means risk is on. Couple that with if our stock market starts selling off, you know that that, that something's afoot. Regardless of what they're telling you on the TV, mm-hmm. you've got to you've got to take action, especially if you're at in or near retirement, yeah, because time you can't get bailed out if you're like if you're 25. I mean, you could see a, a big, big market correction, but that's what you really need to be paying attention going into the new year. Okay, I mean that's the biggest black swan event out there, hmm. in my Dad, opinion. Dad, I have a question. A few others, <clears throat> yeah.
1: Um, so because China owns a lot of our debt, so could that be an issue? Are You're saying that could be an issue with our bond market, right?
0: Well, no, 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 no. So China and their bonds are going to get in trouble. Now, I, let me rephrase what you might be saying. If China is okay. trying to raise money, could mm-hmm. they sell their treasury, our treasuries that they own, in order, to raise, in, in, in order to raise money, pushing our prices down? I think if China starts selling our treasuries to raise money because they're starting to melt down, you'll see so many other international players and retail investors pick up the slack and want to buy treasuries. I think that'll at the very least be an offset. And remember, the Fed is, don't listen to what the Fed does, says, watch what the Fed does. So they may just, you know, step in and pick up the slack. Because even though they said they want to tighten and they want to raise rates a little bit to kill inflation, they don't want to, rates to rise in earnest really fast. They want to do it incrementally. So yeah. the bigger risk is emerging market bonds and Chinese bonds. Although that's a good point, uh, 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 Alex. I don't assume to know everything, and I, although I'm extremely smart and intelligent and good looking.
2: Clearly. Uh, all, all very true. clearly. <laughs> um, all true. Um,
0: yes. um, all <laughs> We'll follow the charts. So just because I think treasury bonds would strengthen if they weaken, because like Alex said, all of a sudden China sold 300 billion, you know, a trillion dollars of treasury bonds and the Fed wasn't there fast enough with a fat finger trade pushing the buy button and rates spiked and treasuries went down. Then you'd follow the charts. Mm. But, you know, it's almost like mad, mutually assured destruction in the 70s. If China really sold off our treasury bonds in earnest, it would actually hurt them as well. Right. And our, the, the import-export relationship, they really don't want to screw that up. I mean, there's kind of a wink-wink, nod-nod. Uh, you you finance our country and you lend us money cheap and we'll keep buying your crap. Um, excuse me, your products. Yes. And And so... It's a good point, but this is why you're going to have to watch that stuff. i'll tell you another thing is crypto could be strong because of this. Mm. People are scared, and they feel like crypto is a um, kind of out of bounds beyond government control or if it gets too right, strong, yeah. government may just start regulating or outlawing it mm-hmm. but but like I said before, this really is the next big major event that could have ramifications. Uh, globally and it could be a big event like the tech wreck or the two thousand and eight um, economic crisis it 's really the bottom line is it 's china 's economic crisis it 's going to be their it 's their turn it was Japan in one thousand nine hundred and ninety one it was ours in two thousand and eight and now it 's china 's turn now we 're going to see how now there have been there have been people that are trying to de- defend the china you know making a counterargument, I guess you'd say. And they're saying, well, in China, because it's such a strong centralized government uh, with only a few guys at the top, they can make decisions very quickly. And so you're not going to get a Bear Stearns Lehman moment. You're not going to get a Lehman moment where these couple banks just go bankrupt and cause the whole system to melt down. Yeah. The, the, the Chinese government can act quickly enough so that they can step in and, and take over. Remember, folks... These real estate companies are much bigger. Some of them are huge in size, and that therein lies the problem. So, you know, with that said, so before we move on to what the Fed did and kind of the narrative and what that means as far as uh, Fed speak, yeah. I want to go to the guys and see if they have any uh, comments or, 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 you know, tell me I'm wrong about the Chinese scenario. Anybody?
2: I'll start. You also, I, I agree with you. But uh, you also mentioned about gold and bonds moving uh, together, or uh, and the dollar. Uh, a strong dollar is typically bearish for U.S. stocks. If you see them moving together, also, uh, that would add weight to the old argument that capital goes to where it's treated best. And over in Europe, and in Japan they're not raising interest rates, they can't raise interest rates, unlike uh, our Fed is on track to do. We never went uh, nominally negative on our bond yields the way they have over there, and they're kind of begging the US not to raise interest rates, but um, Powell's signaling six rate hikes over the next uh, two years. Um, Capital goes to where it's treated best if it floods into the US, you can see a, a lot more of what we saw this year uh, without performance of U.S. markets. You know, we, we talk about uh, the typical pie chart when you're just diversifying into downtrending assets. It's like going to the grocery store and buying rotten vegetables just because you don't have vegetables at home. Uh, we, don't, we haven't owned foreign stocks, as you mentioned. We haven't owned bonds, as you mentioned. Gold has been a poor investment. Uh, emerging markets have been terrible, primarily because of China. So the illusion of diversification actually just weighed down your portfolio quite a bit this year, if that's how you were allocated. And that's the typical pie chart allocation. We had a, a, a conversation with a client yesterday relating you know, exactly to this. Uh, the 60-40 or 70-30 uh, portfolio at Revere is 60% or seventy percent U.S. stocks, and the other thirty uh, percent. Where can we get treated best? Uh, not in and if it's in gross stocks, great. If it's in gold, great. But if it's, we're not just going to diversify into garbage uh, sectors or garbage asset classes.
0: Okay, Hunter, you got
3: anything? Hey, I had to step away for a second. I had the uh, the maintenance people here. Trying to get into my house, and I couldn't hear him over the podcast. I could hear somebody yelling. I was like, what am I hearing? What's going on back there? um, I really didn't hear the front part of the question. Well, we we were just wondering if you had
0: anything to add in with the Chinese, uh, potential for a Chinese uh, contagion or sell-off or crisis.
3: Well, I I think the, the main thing is just being aware of who owns the debt of those companies that Dan listed, like Evergrande and some of those others. Uh, who's involved with those companies, who's invested in those companies, and just being aware of where the tentacles reach, maybe the strongest or where they have the firmest grasp. That's what I would want to know. Um, obviously, like Dan said, it can spread throughout the entire world and affect a lot of things. But
0: Yeah, they'll uh, throw the baby out with the know, bathwater.
3: That's right. So I, that's what I would say. Just be aware of who owns what and who's exposed to that market because you may not know. Like he said, you said, might, you might just be in a fund and you realize, oh, they have 5% of – you know, Chinese real estate exposure, Chinese debt exposure, wh- whatever. So uh, you just may not know that your portfolio has exposure to it. So it's something to check into. Yeah.
0: Alex. Yeah, you
1: mentioned um, Taiwan. And uh, I think that that could be the black swan. That's just this is just my opinion. And part of the reason is Taiwan semiconductor is putting a plant out here in Arizona about 30 minutes from where I live. I'm talking a massive plant where 2000 employees have to move to Arizona. They must know something. Um, I'm not predicting anything, but that could definitely be what you what you said. That kind of that that scares me more than anything. The Taiwan the Taiwan situation. Yeah, yeah.
2: Is hey, Taiwan anyway. Semiconductor going to be renamed Scottsdale Semiconductor. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they're going to change their logo too to a cactus.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, a roadrunner uh, road here, here. Ukraine.
2: Texas. Russia into Ukraine is a lot more likely than um, China into Taiwan, because the the eastern part of Ukraine is primarily Russian ethnicity, and they uh, that half doesn't really care if Russia takes them over the the western half of Ukraine is is Ukrainian uh, descendancy Mm. and they those two don't get along in the first place. So probably a bargain. Uh, The eastern half of Ukraine. Uh, and really, nobody's upset about it is, is a likely scenario.
0: Well we'll, well, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting to see. All right. So we, we we talked about that. We'll move on. But again, keep an eye for the next two to three months, because this could happen sooner rather than later. And if it does start to accelerate, it could be This could be the the, the big event for even this decade. Yeah. So all right. So let's talk about the Fed, that wonderful economic Think tank that supposedly had the smartest guys and women in the world. That's right. Our our Lord
1: and Savior, the Fed.
0: So I want to talk a little (laughs) bit about before the Fed announcement, kind of what they were thinking. So most people thought that they were going to taper about 15 billion per month in 2022. Mm. They've announced to 60 billion. So that was one big. Change. change, Yeah, yeah well, because inflation got so hot, they couldn't, they had to act like a parent, <laughs> yeah. finally. Um, and the markets were, were pricing in a likelihood that the Fed would taper as much as $30 billion by, uh, and, and finish by March 2022. Uh, laugh out loud. I got, got my little comments on the article, laugh out loud, because there's no <laughs> way they're going to do that. Okay, now, um, but, but here's the thing. So just three months ago, Think about this. Just three months ago, Fed members expect half of the Fed members expected zero rate hikes in 2022. Mm. So half of the Fed said just three months ago, we don't need any rate hikes in 2022 because there is not sufficient inflation out there or it's just transitory. Well, that transitory – remember, we've been saying this for a year and a half. They don't know what the word transitory means because it's, it's not transitory. This stuff is hard. Now, now, so let's talk about where we are after the Fed and basically on, on Powell's comments, what he actually said. So they're talking as many as three – two rate hikes in 2022 for sure, but as many as three. They predict two more in 2023 and two more in 2024 so a total of 7 now remember now remember just 3 months ago they thought 0 half of them thought 0 so these guys have no idea what they're talking about they're 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 one-armed economists that can't see 3 months in front of them and they're always acting and I'd love to someone ask him a question about always being reactionary that's exactly what the Fed is they're reactionary and they're always behind the curve now so currently just say a
2: one armed economist
0: well you never heard that term
2: <laughs> I haven't is that a Texas thing
0: no, it's no, that's and why does it they, they talk about that in college and everything. A one armed economist means, you know, I never heard of that. Oh my god, Google it. <laughs> a one armed economist means they know these guys don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> like, <college>? like, economic <laughs> forecasts are worthless because they're always wrong. Mm. That's, but
2: why I don't get the arm thing. You know, yeah, like you have to go back, economy. it's like an arm, you
0: you'll have to go back and look, but <laughs> okay, it's like a anyway. Uh, so currently, so learned Dan. <laughs> cur- I'm surprised you hadn't heard that, Don. <laughs> Learning doctors. Too much technical, not enough fundamental. Yeah. All right. So. Yes, clearly. C- currently, uh, the, so the Fed is going to keep rates unchanged, but they're going to speed up the taper. So they're going to start raising rates in a couple months. They're going to only buy $60 billion in assets, mostly treasuries and some other go- government agency. Uh, and that is half of what they were doing in November. Now. Here's the kicker that I just think is funny. They think the GDP will be 5 point. um, They thought the GDP, uh, well, they think GDP is going to be 5.5 this year. It's going to end up the year with 5.5 and it's going to be 4% next year. Now, my question again, laugh out loud. I got my little quotes. Now, are we adjusting for inflation? Because if you've got inflated prices of widgets you're selling in those numbers, then you're overestimating GDP. So if we, j- just for round numbers, it's actually pretty close 10% inflation. If you've got 10% inflation and you don't adjust the uh, GDP for inflation, that means you're overstating inflation by 10%, because everything costs 10% more that next year. Right. A lot of times they forget to do that. So there is an. Inf- Inflation adjusted GDP number out there, but you got to go out and look for it and search for it. And it's always lagging and it's always sandbagging the real inflation rate. Mm. Okay. Now, so the Fed, here's what I really like. The Fed expects 2.6 inflation next year. Let me let me read that again. The Fed expects 2.6 inflation next year. Right now we're running about 8%. Mm-hmm. It's 6.2%. 2 or 6.8, 6.2 on the last CPI number, but PPI came out at above 9, which means there's more inflation coming down the pike. So this next CPI number is going to come in hot. But even if you just take 7, 7% inflation, which I don't think anybody will argue, not even a one-armed economist or Don, um, um, you're going to take it from 7 down to 2.6, so you're going to ki- kill inflation 30 by 70% you're really going to have to tighten pretty hard in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So either their forecasts are wrong or they're going to tighten a whole lot more. And it's going to because the way the only way to do that is to really almost get close to a recession. Oh, it's like you said, watch what they do. not what they say, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, the way to kill inflation is kill demand. See, that's what they don't tell you. The way to kill inflation is to make people stop buying. Right. Kill demand. That's mm-hmm. also known as a recession. So anyway, so the takeaway too, Dan, that they
1: keep saying it's transitory and yet they're saying that it's gonna go back down to two percent. That's kind of like counterintuitive.
0: Yep. yep. It's- well, he actually finally he actually Powell, when I say he, uh Powell, Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, actually admitted yesterday that the, on, in the Q and A afterward, I watched the whole Q and A, and someone kind of asked, and he did admit he goes, "Well, we had been thinking it would be transitory, but it really turned out not to be. You know, you just can't hate to say that we were completely wrong. You know, we pooped it; we just completely missed it for a year and a half while everybody was screaming. But, but well, sure, but a two
2: point six for next year. He's you he can't have it both ways, like Alex said. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It would still be transitory if it's only going to be 2.6.
1: Exactly. Um, (laughs) He's kind of shooting himself in the
0: foot. Right. Well, you know, he's just trying to save face right now. They've they've got massive inflation. They caused it. They know it and they can't figure it. You know, they're they're trying to again. They're trying to make it look like they've got some semblance of control. And just by the fact that we have seven or eight percent inflation shows you that they don't have control. They've lost control. That mm. horse is out of the barn. Now, so here are the main takeaways for going into next year. And this is more fundamental basis. And then, like, I, like Don has always said, we're going to use the charts and follow the technicals, what is happening. But if we get a Chinese meltdown, treasuries could rally big time. Now, it's counterintuitive because everybody's going, well, you know, as much as Congress is printing or, or spending, mm-hmm. and even though the Fed's tapering, they may – because a strong dollar is good for treasury bonds. So rising rates will make them sell off a little bit, but if they pay higher yields of newly issued treasuries, they become more attractive. So a little bump in treasuries may cause a little bit of a rally. So right now we're setting up for, a, you know, a couple – fundamental factors to be slightly bullish for treasuries. But I'm talking about if they really start to rally, if they really start to move and accelerate quickly, that's going to tell you something is amiss globally, even if you don't have the story. In other words, if they're because like you haven't really heard much about this Chinese, you heard about Evergrande and that's about it. Yeah. I mean, did you know there were four ma- major multi, multi-billion multi dollar Chinese real estate companies that are in default right Absolutely now? Absolutely not. No. And, the, and the Chinese is, and the China's government's trying to figure out what to do. They're not, n- none nope. of that's, none of that's out there really. I mean, there are a few people writing about it in my business. And by the way, if you want the articles, I'll be happy to send them to you. But you're not hearing it in the financial media. So if treasuries really start to rally or gold. Or even Bitcoin, that could be your tell. Mm. Now um, and, and, and my next line is, could gold and treasuries and Bitcoin all three go up together? That would be even a bigger tell. And equities could come under pressure. Mm. So what this is the question I'm asking the listener is, what is your plan? You don't You just have to have a plan and you know here at the shop, we've got four or five different scenarios at the macro, the macro level, from recession, deflation, inflation, smooth, even keel economy, which we're not in right now. But you got to have all of those things. And then you dig, dig dig, down deeper to the short and midterm, and you use the the the, the 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 technicals. But a lot of this stuff can happen very fast. And I will tell you right now, an asset allocation pie chart will not help you. So maybe if you have a little sliver of Go, real small sliver of 5% gold and a 15% sliver of investment grade in treasury bonds. So you got a little less than 20%, but then the rest of your portfolio is going to be in equities. That could really take a shellacking. Yeah. The more international, including international bonds, that could really take a shellacking. So you really got to have a plan in place so that you know, you know, you, you, you know what to do. You don't. Here's the thing: you don't want to do. You don't want to. All of a sudden, it hits the fan, and you're freaking out, and your portfolio's just going late. down, losing yep. five, six percent, literally in a day or two. I mean, you mm-hmm. could easily lose. Remember, in 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 coronavirus last year in March, if you sat there, we didn't, but if you sat there and just you know, you lost thirty five percent, high to low, literally in three weeks. So it happened – the market sells off much faster than it goes up. Mm-hmm. Point being, you want to have a plan in place like you're sipping a pina colada at the beach in Texas over Christmas. Yep. Formulating your plan than trying to make a plan when bullets are flying over your head and you're down in the in the trenches and you're worried about sticking your head up, you're going to get – because what happens if people don't have a plan in place in advance, they get paralyzed. They get – you know, they, it's fear. They get – Afraid, And then they just kind of close their eyes and put their head in the sand and say, "Mm, I'll just, maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. And they sit there and they don't follow through. Either they don't have a plan or they don't follow through with the plan. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, three weeks later, Bob's your uncle and you're down 25, 30%. And now you're freaking out going, how am I going to retire? So... With that said, and, and again, look, it's Christmas time. I want to wish everybody a happy holidays. I'm not trying to put a doom and gloom, but this is a big enough story that it needs to be told, and people need to know about it and need to know about it in advance right. so that they're pre-positioned or at least ready to change their allocation so that they can, they can get adjusted.
1: Right. You heard it here first, folks.
0: All right, now, uh, Don, I'm going to go to you real quick about the Fed. If you've got any comments on the Fed, then I'll go to Hunter, then I'll go to Alex, and then from there, then we'll go in reverse order. We'll start – well, we'll go – we'll do what Tim normally does. We'll start with Hunter. Hunter, uh, Alex, and Tim. Uh, yeah, Hunter, Hunter, Alex, and, and Don. Yeah, Don yeah. All right, Don, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the Fed?
2: Uh, I'm a Jay Powell fan. I think he's been very clear with what he – uh, what his plan has been. He admitted yesterday that, that he was wrong on inflation. You don't often see anybody related with the government admit that they were wrong about something. But I think he gave a pretty clear direction on uh, what his plans are. And if uh, the statistics support what his plans are, the plans stay in place. And if they don't, uh, I think they'll change things. I wouldn't be surprised to see a weakening economy and we don't cut uh, next year. But I um, Let's let's again let uh, let the statistics speak for what's actually going on. And from our perspective, let the charts tell us what we should be doing as far as allocations for clients.
0: Uh, by the way, by the way, if China does start to come under extreme pressure, that also would cause the Fed to pause raising rates. Yeah. So it's not just even though they're only supposed to worry about protecting the dollar and, un- and employment which are too contradictory. They should only be in charge of protecting the dollar. I digress. But if, if, if overseas you start getting enough, you know, trouble, then they'll pause the, pause pause the rates too. Or or rise in
2: unemployment, the slow, slowing in uh, hiring. Either of those two things.
0: By the way, the unemployment number came out today and it was soft. The unemployment was higher. All right, Hunter.
2: Was that an AD? Was that the ADP unemployment? Uh, that
0: claim? was the weekly jobless claims. Okay. Yeah, no, that was a, a labor a DO, Department of Labor. They were higher than expected.
1: Hmm.
0: My mustache is coming off. All right, Hunter. <laughs> I cannot hear him. Hunter, you're on mute, man. What's uh, going on? he He's got it. good now there There you go hunter we're gonna teach you how to use that technology sooner
3: yeah one day one day uh just in quickly in regards to the fed i'm just watching price right now we had some really like very very strong and very fast moves in a lot of stocks yesterday uh after the fed you know after two o'clock uh and a lot of that is split in growth stocks uh or qqq a decent bit of that move has been given back, so we're kind of as we film this at a pivotal point here on the cues in the S and as the S and is kind of back testing that 4,700 level. But I'm watching just to see do we finishing strong today or if we finish poorly. That's something uh, that I think we need to pay attention to. But I've got some other stuff uh, that just so happens to kind of go along with what you've got there uh, or what we've been talking about today. And the first thing I want to talk about is Treasuries, and so. Uh, if you can go to the chart, Zach, and look at, and Don, can you pull up TLT? I talked about this uh, on my video this Monday, and just in the spirit of the fact that we're talking about some of these fear assets back to life, like even gold is up nicely today. TLT had been on a rally, uh, but about TLT, we've talked about interest rates, we've talked about all this stuff all year long. But the reality is, the correlation between TLT and stocks has changed drastically really just over the last six months and so the first thing i want to look at here tim or sorry don i'm just used to saying Tim. T- t- <laughs> me too yeah. uh, uh, is november 5th to december 13th and so if you look at that on tlt that's pretty much going to be from that bottom there uh november 25th on um right around 144 up to roughly that 155 high so in that time period, TLT became out, a by fear the way, on trade. That. That's right. So TLT becomes a fear trade. This this goes up simultaneously as the VIX spikes, as um, markets pull back, stocks pull back, et cetera. So this becomes a fear trade. So from that same time frame, November 25th to December 13th, the TL- TLT was up about 3% or a little over 3%. ARKK was down 13%. FFTY was down 10%. Small cap growth ETF, IWO, was down 7%. PDP down 6%, and the QQQJ down 5%. So a, a very obvious negative correlation. As TLT moved up, all these risk on. You can even throw biotech in there, also down about 10%. Uh,
0: oh, golly. Did we lose them? Uh-oh. Hunter might be stuck. Uh, Hunter might have been frozen. (laughs) He might be trapped in time. It's all right. All right. We'll go to Alex then.
1: Okay. So I've been noticing, um, this usually happens when uh, markets can get defensive. If you could pull up some ETFs here, let's pull up XLP. So this is a consumer staples, um, this one has been on a really strong rally starting, uh, late November. And I don't know if it's a, it's a flight to safety play. So it might be signaling what Dan has been talking about. It's maybe we have to be, you know, get, get protective and, and stocks like, um, you know, Coca-Cola are in that. And that's why Coca-Cola is rallying to new 52 week highs. So people are, you know, that those are necessity type names that, you know, you can't live without. I guess you can't live without Coke Zero or whatever, or Coke, but that's just one example. Um, also XLRE, the real estate ETF, that one's hitting new 52 week highs. While the market is volatile today and down, these, um, these are going up. Another one that I've, I actually bought in the tracking portfolio was XLV, that's the healthcare ETF. Names like uh, Johnson and Johnson, J&J, are in that uh, Abbott Labs. That name also has, has set up, uh, excuse me, ABBV, V. Check out that chart. So these, it, it sh- it's obviously defensive. And then another one is United Healthcare, UNH. That's ripping to new 52-week highs as well. I uh, also want the to big point take out, away from those. CBS charts, has... Sorry, charts, the,
2: char- the charts that you just showed, I think the big takeaway from this is the day after the follow through day, these defensive stocks are still outperforming mm-hmm. growth stocks. So uh, yeah, certainly I... not a risk on from the growth area today.
1: Exactly. And it... another name that's, it's interesting, and Don had pointed this out on one of our calls. I was like, why is CVS so strong? CVS had bought out um, Aetna, and that might that might be the reason that that one's going up because if you pull up Walgreens WBA that one is not the charts look completely different and what what separates those two companies it's it's got to be the seed that CVS purchased um etna so that healthcare theme is extremely strong uh i think Hunter was talking about some of the home builders uh, ITB obviously and then uh Dan had mentioned DHI before being one of the biggest home builders, and uh, that one's near fifty-two highs as well. That looks pretty good. It's pulling back a little bit. Maybe it pulls back to that pivot, that ninety-nine sixty-five area. I don't own this. I don't own any home builders right now. Um, uh,
2: disappointing have, earnings report been... this morning from Len- from Lennar before the open. But look how it's uh, recovered most of the gap down.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really bullish buy signal. If that um, that candle there, kind of a hammer look to it. If it if that wick, you see that parallel line for the viewers. If that gets above the twenty one EMA there, or even goes yep. green, that's a, that's a really bullish sign. Um, someone's stepping in and, and and swooping up those shares that are being sold down. So, to, you know, I I we we could can even consider that we'd have to take a look further into what the earnings uh, report I have to read on it before we buy it um but yeah i mean big tech today after that like hunter was saying after that strong rally yesterday after the fed that expectation breaker it's it's backfilling the, the reason why i'm still bullish on for me is the s&p 500 is right near all time highs so it's hard for me to to get Bearish. And you got to think too, and Don has been talking about this for a while. S&P 500 can absorb sector rotations because it engulfs so many different names and the best names. So if tech starts to get weak and something else gets strong, S&P can smooth that equity curve out. And that's why we have such a large SSO position. And that's, that's pretty much it today for me.
0: All right, Alex. Thanks. All right. Well, Don... We'll let you play cleanup and tell us what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, following up on what Alex was saying about sector rotation, and, and uh, as I'm fond of saying, it takes place within the S&P 500. Not only sector rotation, but also growth and value rotation. Uh, within technology, uh, half of those stocks are considered growth and half of those are considered uh, value or growth at a reasonable price. So uh, even if the money is coming out of certain parts of technology, it can just be flowing into uh, other sectors within technology. And you see things like uh, Dell really, really hadn't pulled back that much until recently. You can see it's a failed breakout. Uh, Compare that to something like uh, CrowdStrike, which just got decimated. So uh, growth at a reasonable price, holding up uh, much better uh, than... um, the gogo stocks here's Oracle with a breakout on its earnings report that's considered you know it's only got a PE of 21 Um, which want to look at as the price to growth ratio the or the or the peg ratio Uh, this one is a two let's look at Zscaler for example Uh, 580 PE versus 79% growth rate for uh, next year so Uh, rotating not only within sectors but also within growth in value within the S&P 500. And that's, that's kind of the anchor of our portfolio. As I said, the 60, 40 or 70, 30 Revere portfolio is 60 or 70% uh, the equivalent of the S&P. And then we use the remaining. But we only allocate uh, 30 to 35% cash for that because we use SSO, which is uh, the two times S&P 500 uh, ETF. And then with the other 70%, we go where we're treated best. If that's gross stocks, fine. If that's cash, that's fine too. Uh, One thing I want to note here with the chart that you're seeing of the NASDAQ 100, note how we were not able, even after yesterday's move up, to get back above the 400 level, and the NASDAQ 100 is not having a good day today. This is absolutely not what you want to see the day after a follow-through day. Compare that to the S&P 500. uh, Did break higher, not quite all-time highs here. Let's take a look at a 60-minute chart here. You can see very clearly, I'm going to do the S&P 500 so we can talk about uh, how 4,700 here has been um, a very key area that we are constantly trying to break through and it's battling back and forth between resistance and support. You can see we're above it for two days, fail above it, above it for one day, fail, above it for two days, fail. Couldn't get through it, couldn't get through it. Got uh, above it, but just for a day now got above it yesterday with the gap above, pulled back today in the bottom, the low so far is right at 4,700. This is absolutely uh, the big area of support here is 4,700 for the S&P. And this range of uh, resistance goes up to the all time high, which is 4,743. So a little bit of digestion in this area here would be completely healthy on the S&P, but I'm extremely, concerned about a lack of participation in the NASDAQ. And again, you can see how, uh, how important it is to have that S&P 500 rotation handled within your portfolio by not focusing only on tech stocks, we like to get our exposure to tech in the individual names themselves, because they're really outperform when they're acting well. But when the market is not treating tech well, we focus on the indexes. Let the index itself take care of all the rotation, uh, and it really does smooth out the equity curve, sticking with the S&P 500. And then, talking about goal line stands here, uh, you can see the 50-day moving average. That's the red line here, how we tested it twice this week and held it uh, before the big move up yesterday after the follow-through day. So... That's the key level to the downside is 4,600. So nice round areas now. We need to hold 4,700. Should we consolidate further? 4,600, which is that 50-day moving average, is going to come up next week to the low of the follow-through day. Uh, So a double area of support there at the 4,600 level. And those are really the key areas that we're focusing on from from an index perspective. On the other hand, small caps just continue to be garbage. Uh, You can see below the 200-day moving average uh, money flowing into the Dow, which is a more defensive index. You can see how it broke above recent highs, not through all-time highs, but showing relative strength. That's this blue jagged line here, showing relative strength over the last two and a half weeks, as that's where money uh, has gone into. Compare that to the relative strength on the NASDAQ 100, which has been fading over the last three weeks. These are the type of things that we pay attention to, with um, as far as where the money is flowing.
0: Yeah. So forty-seven hundred
2: and forty-six hundred, the key areas to focus on.
0: Well, so and in, and in, in, we kind of touched on this last week, but I wanted to highlight it again. We were talking about the S and P equal weight. So the regular S and P five hundred, the largest two, you know company has the per, highest percentage weight, whereas an equal so. On the regular S&P index, the bottom 100 companies don't even make a difference. They, they just, even the top, bottom 200. It's really Apple, Exxon, uh, it's just a few companies that really, the top 15, 20 companies that really determine the direction of the S&P. Well, if you look at the equal weight, which where they take 1 500th for each company, so each company has the exact same weight, Apple will have the same the 500th or 499th company will have the same effect as apple well if you look at the s&p equal weight it's actually pretty weak it doesn't look nearly as good on a chart don if you can pull that up and the advanced decline numbers the advancers versus decline numbers there's a lot more decliners than they are advancers and so right now it's really the the a couple big mega weight big, big stocks that are holding up the indices, the S&P anyway. So if those companies start to falter, that's when you're really going to see, uh, it, that's when it really could get ugly. That right now, it's still holding. It's above uh, support. So we're not selling. We're not doing anything. But we're ready in case that does happen. And there's a couple and, different and it things. it doesn't
2: it doesn't necessarily show up as much on the chart as it does on the relative strength line. Again, this jagged blue line note here, here's the prior high in uh, the breakout area and look where the relative strength line is. Now we make new highs on RSP, but relatively speaking, we did not, which means that the, the, uh, market cap weighted S and P 500 is outperforming the RSP. Now here again, you can see how this just continues to trend lower and lower. Here we've got uh, a higher move in price versus here, but not confirmed by relative strength, which continues to trend lower and lower. And uh, yeah, market cap, market size has been uh, very focused on on just the big uh, the big names, no question. And that's that's a sign of defensiveness, and it's a place to hide money for portfolio.
0: Yeah, and relative strength actually can be a very good uh, leading indicator. Sometimes it'll give you clues. What Don's saying is that the price is still going up, but relative strength is going down. One of two things has to happen. Relative strength has to turn around and go back up and and catch up with price or start moving in the same direction of price, or price has to roll over and pull back. And, and and pull back and come down toward relative strength. So it's just here's something. NASDAQ, that also, here's too, the
2: Nasdaq equal weight. Same thing with uh, extremely weak relative strength.
0: Yeah, yeah. What were you gonna say, Alex?
1: I was going to say uh, something I picked up here at Revere that uh, Donna taught me is um, the RS line on a one, the one year RS line. It's not really the greatest indicator to see what's going on. So try to use a three month three month RS because it's more relative to what's currently happening. Um, I don't know if you can show that on market Smith. Can you well, show that? Is that the three the, month?
2: Yeah. That's the rating. The, the, the line is the line that, that, that doesn't matter from a one year standpoint, but the okay. rating, this is a 12 month rating, but a three month rating for this, uh, three month RS Thought it would show up here. Yeah, there it is. It's a seventy-four. maybe show
1: Apple or or different stock.
0: So and what, what they're saying there is the customary kind of default is, is relative strength of a year. The problem is that may be too long-term, and so it takes too long. It starts rolling over, and price pulls back too much before you get right. into it for that relative like, strength. Like terms. Tesla. Tesla yeah, might be a, a good, good example. example Z, because, Z-Scale yeah, is
2: go. a 95 over a year, but the three-month relative strength is a 76. Uh, yeah, we focus on our scans on these uh, on the three month bar RS in a, in a major way.
0: Yeah, and it's something. It's kind of like the 200 day moving average where you've got 200 days all e- simple moving average all equally weighted, but you're when you're looking at the 21 exponential, the, the yesterday has a much stronger influence on that moving average than the 21st day, 21 days ago. So it's a yeah. it's it's a better. Um, indicator of the current momentum right now, the shorter and midterm momentum instead of the much longer term momentum, because longer term, you may be down 15, 20% before it, before it triggers that, before it crosses. Maybe too late for you. Maybe, that's what I'm saying. It may be too Here's a big one.
2: Uh, Net Cloudflare with a 96 relative strength on a one-year basis, but only 19 on a three-month basis. This Ooh, means 81% yeah. of stocks in the in the database have outperformed uh, Cloudflare over the last uh, three months.
0: Yeah, and if you had been paying attention to that as it was deteriorating, it would have gone to from to if the three month would have gone from eighty to to seventy five to sixty. It would have given you an indication to get out way before. Pull up that chart again, Don. It would have it would have given you an indication to get out way before it got to sixteen. And look at that chart. Look look how it's pulled back so much. So anyway. Uh, that's, that's, uh, those are really, really good, uh, indicators to use. But the main thing is no matter what indicator you use, whether it's exponential moving averages, eight, uh, average true range charts, relative strength, or a combination, we use a combination of, of things so that we get, uh, uh, confirming indicators when we get two or three items confirming each other, we're that much more confident about the probabilities that that move will hold either way. But no matter what it is, you at least have to have a plan. You, you can't just go haphazardly, because otherwise, if you're just going to have a, in our opinion, if you're just going to have a pie chart and hope everything's going to work out. Uh, Don, you want to explain the, uh, the sequence of returns? Uh, so, folks, if you're at, near, or in retirement, this is why it's so important, because of sequence of returns. Don, you want to quickly go over that?
2: Yeah, let's look at a monthly chart of the S&P 500 um, you can see long term. We obviously trend higher. We're at all time highs, but that long term is made up of a bunch of uh, short and intermediate terms that can be absolutely brutal to your portfolio. You know, they say the market returns, you know, over 8 percent average uh, every year annually. But if you got 8 percent every year, everybody would be happy. The problem is you don't You get plus 2 percent, plus 30% minus 18% minus 28%. And if you're approaching retirement and you come into a situation where uh, like the financial crisis or the bursting of the tech bubble or uh, COVID where you were dropped 34% in five weeks, sure it recovered. But if you're headed into retirement and you don't have a plan and you panic and you sell out and you don't get back in, uh, you've got a problem. So especially approaching retire- retirement or the first couple of years, uh, into retirement, you um, you need to be concerned about protecting your nest egg because you're going to be tapping it pretty soon.
0: Well, here's another thing they don't tell you. When they show you those illustrations uh, where they show you 8% annualized every year over your life, and if you save a 1000 or $2,000 a month and you compound it, then you'll have a million dollars when you're 65, right? Everybody's always seen those. What they don't tell you is Almost all of the gains of the appreciation on those illustrations that assumes eight percent evenly every year is made in the last two or three years. So if you got a thousand dollars and you go through a thirty percent correction, that's three hundred bucks. Where you say, "Well, what's a big deal? You got a million dollar, or you got a million dollars? That's seven hundred thousand. You just lost three hundred thousand dollars. It turns into real money. But more importantly, um, um, if If when you're as you're compounding it up, when you have you know so you got ten thousand dollars the first year and then it compounds and you got thirteen thousand or you know eight percent excuse me you know almost eleven then the next year you put money in you got twenty three the next year you got you know thirty five thirty six and it slowly goes up incrementally but then the last couple of years you go from half a million to six fifty. Or, or six hundred, then you go six hundred to seven twenty, and then seven. So it's that last two years that gets you all the growth. Well, that it, it, it gets you all the 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 biggest that get to that million dollars. So if you retired in nineteen ninety nine before the tech wreck, you had twice as much money than as if you retired at 2000, uh, and, uh, 2000 at the bottom of the tech wreck or the economic crisis. So it's really and they've done studies on this where it's really. A, a just a matter of random chance if you're buying and holding to retirement and you keep that pie chart. Now, granted, they'll tell you, well, you'll move a little bit more to bonds as you get older to make it less volatile. Uh, but then that uh, hurts the return. But also, what if interest rates were at the bottom of the interest rate cycle and they start raising rates right as you're going heavy into bonds? See, that's the problem. It's not about your risk tolerance as much as it's about the risk in the market or the sector. And so just because you're 70, you shouldn't have 70% bonds, in my opinion, if we're going into an inflationary and or rising interest rate environment. That's not good for, for, for bonds. Now, could you get a short-term pop or even a mid-term pop in bonds if China really gets in trouble like we talked at the beginning of the show? Absolutely. And that's the whole point of this show. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be willing. So in, if, if if China wasn't in, in dire straits and in big trouble, I would say bonds are kind of in a tough spot right now because you have really high inflation and you've got rising interest rates. But if... This China thing does heat up or we've got some other geopolitical event. You could see Treasury bonds rally in a big way and they'll start rallying before China melts down. The big institutional money has boots on the ground. They're already looking at all this stuff. So the price move will happen before the news. We always say here, first price, then news. Folks, listen, I hope you enjoyed the show today. It was a little bit different. We got, we dove uh, kind of deep, and, but we wanted to have some fun and we wanted to wish you all a Merry Christmas. This was a Merry Christmas Texas style. I got my Texas hat. Well, I got my Guayavara on too, so I guess it's Tex. It looks good. There's yeah. a Tex, this is a Tex Mex uh, uh, Christmas podcast. That's right. um, Don, I want to wish you and yours a Merry Christmas. Alex, you and yours. You too. Uh, Hunter, you and yours, even though you probably can't hear me. And Tim, hope you and Tanya uh, have, uh, have, uh, have a healthy baby by uh, the end of this evening. We wish everybody the best. Folks, please be safe. And please tell a friend, tell a neighbor about this podcast. Just tell them to go to revereasset.com. They can sign up. We won't spam them. We won't reach out to them. It's up to them to reach out to us. If they want a complimentary portfolio review, have topics they want discussed on the show, or just have a question about a stock or an idea or an investment, um, um, they'll get this podcast into their inbox when, as soon as it goes out, and they'll get our daily market insight video. Every evening, the market's open. It's a short little 10-minute video about the markets. Uh, you can email any of us at dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, tim, hunter, or alex at revereasset.com. You can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. We have a Merry Christmas. We will talk to you right before the new year for our final podcast of the year. Right here on Your Money.